We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always today, Justin Mello, here to talk some drafts, some Titans news, some other stuff. What's going on, Justin? Doing well. We're, we're finally getting into my sweet spot. Huh? We're, we're about to start some, some draft stuff. I'm pumped for it. Yeah, we're about five weeks away from the draft, or I guess we'll do five more episodes of this show, including this one. Um, before the draft gets here draft obviously april 28th for anyone unfamiliar so that's about a, I guess that's a month from today recording this on monday march 28th one month from the draft we're going to talk about this is what we're going to do listeners over the next five episodes we're going to take two position groups each we're going to kind of break down where they rank in terms of the titans needs and some guys that could be in play for the Titans, where they might target certain positions and certain players. Justin's watched. How many prospects have you watched at this point? Not as many as I would have liked, truthfully. But I've been, it's funny, I, I finally work full-time in football, and I'm too busy to watch as many prospects as I'd like. Right? I've got so much else <laughs> on my plate. Um, I've watched about 130. That's a lot. I mean, that's a, that's a lot more than most people have, so... It's more than I have, obviously. All right. Today, we are covering two position groups. We're going to do each week an offensive position group and a defensive position group. And today, we're going to start with the most important position on offense, which is the quarterback. And then we'll look at what some people view as the quarterback of the defense in the linebackers. So we're going to talk some quarterbacks that the Titans might be interested in, how likely it is we think they're even going to take a quarterback and where they might do so. And then we'll talk about the linebacker position. Spoiler alert, that one's going to be a lot quicker because the Titans don't really need a linebacker. But first, there is news to cover. Since our last podcast, the Titans have re-signed a couple of linebackers slash special team ace-type guys to one-year contracts, those two guys being Ola Adaini and Dylan Cole. Ola Adaini, someone that you and I have both said we hope the Titans bring him back. He is a great special teams player, and he adds juice as an extra rotational edge rusher. Got his first sack of his career with the Titans last year against the Seahawks and had a couple, uh, at least one other sack and some impact plays throughout the season. I like Ola Daney. He's a huge special teams guy, and I think this is a great signing for the Titans. I, I Honestly, I'm kind of bummed it's only a one-year deal. It's another, well, it's the second one, right? Back-to-back one-year deals for Ola in Tennessee. Right. Uh, we said it on the preview show, right? We were talking about guys they might bring back, guys they may not. We both wanted him back. He had a good year. Adds a lot of personality too, right? He's a fun guy to have in the locker room. And he gives them good depth. I mean, I think going into the season, you're pretty set at edge. Call me crazy, but with Harold Landry and Bud Dupree as your obvious starters, Ola Daney as a backup, Rashad Weaver coming back from that injury, a guy that showed a lot of promise in training camp. Yeah. Um, obviously, Adina Coatri is a guy that can kick outside. We saw him do it multiple times, sometimes out of necessity with injury, but you know he can do it. So with that ability and those other four guys, I, I think you're set at edge. They didn't bring Derek Roberson back. He's still fr- a free agent, but I, I think they've probably moved on from him uh, most yeah. likely. So I, I think you're pretty good at the edge position, and I love seeing a Daney back. And then Dylan Cole, another one-year deal just a special teams guy you don't expect to see him play linebacker very much but i guess if he had to he's there 
Is Dylan Cole the new Nick DeZubnar? Did they just replace <laughs> DeZubnar with Cole? Like, I think he's your new designated special teams linebacker. I mean, they brought him back. So I, I, if they did, I didn't think it would happen till August, right? I think we probably said that during the preview show, but here he is. So I, I think he's, he, he's a special teams guy exclusively. Yeah, agreed. So moving on quickly now, a couple quick news and notes. There's not a whole lot to talk about here, but I just want to put it out there. The Titans have hired Chase Blackburn as an assistant special teams coordinator slash coach. He spent the last four years as Carolina Panthers special teams coordinator. A fun note about last season, the Titans, DVOA is not everything. In fact, it's it's a lot of nonsense. But the Titans were 23rd in special teams DVOA last year. The Panthers were 24th, so maybe they can put their 23rd and 24th heads together and try to climb those rankings a little bit. Uh, they Look, also made I, a – go ahead. I don't, sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I don't need – I call it Devoa. Right? I don't know if that's what it's like to be referred to. But that's what I like to call it. Uh, Devo, I don't need Devoa to tell me that uh, Titans were not very good special teams uh, last year, right? They were not very good in that area. I mean, uh, didn't, didn't punt as well. I think Mike Vrabel talked about that on Monday at the NFL annual owners meetings. Um, weren't very good in the kick return game, weren't very good in the punt return game. Hands team wasn't as good as it could have been. So uh, they need to get better there. And at least they're bringing in a fresh mind uh, to come and help out there. Because who's the, who's the coordinator there again right now? It's been the Craig same guy Ackerman. for a couple of years. Yeah, Craig Ackerman. Yeah. So Ackerman kept his job. I know I know Paul Kuharski's always got something to say about Ackerman and, and the job that he's done. So at least they're bringing in a guy, I guess, that can help be a fresh mind and hopefully they get better there. Yeah, the Titans also made a couple other hires on the coaching staff. Two guys who were sort of like one-season trial deals last year. Clint McMillan and Kylan Butler have been hired as full-time coaches. McMillan will be a defensive line assistant, and Kylan Butler will be an offensive assistant. Cool. Who cares? All right, moving on. Don't Some know other news. about them. I'd be <laughs> yeah. lying to you if I said I did. Hey, good for them. They passed their trial period, it sounds like. So yeah, they good. must They must not be complete losers. Um, all right. Some other news that came out of the owners' meetings, the Titans will be hosting joint practices with both the Bucks and the Cardinals during training camp this year. Schedule has not come out yet. That will happen a week or two after the NFL draft, but you can bet that the Titans will be playing Tampa Bay and Arizona in the preseason this year if they're hosting joint practices together. Thoughts? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, look, Titans have done this a lot right, under Bill – I'm sorry, under John Robinson and under Mike Vrabel. I was about to say Bill Belichick because – I was going to make a point that they did have those uh, – they had those practices against the Patriots a couple of years ago. Didn't they do it with the Bucks last year? So that either, mean, Yeah, it was last year because what's – who's the rookie that destroyed Dylan Radins? Oh, <laughs> Joe Tryon. Yeah. Joe, Joe, Joe Tryon. Yeah, it was last year. So that would mean they're playing the Bucks in the preseason, back-to-back season. So that would be an interesting scheduling quirk, uh, so to speak. But – Hey, uh, anytime they can get Mike Vrabel and Tom Brady together, I guess the, the league will do it. So, Yeah, I'm happy about that. You know Vrabel's going to give give Brady some shit about retirement and all that stuff. <laughs> we'll get um, some sound bites. We'll get some good sound bites. <laughs> we definitely will. A couple other nuggets I want to touch on here that came out of the owners' meetings. Number one, A.J. Brown extension talks. John Robinson mentioned they were in the very preliminary stages of that. And number two, Mike Vrabel's comments on the recently signed Jamarco Jones. Let's start with AJ Brown. There's been some rumors going around that you, you the Titans. You missed about it on your uh, around oh, yeah. the, around the league podcast, didn't you? If uh, if you check out my Twitter at Titans Film Room, you'll see a clip I tweeted today because Greg Rosenthal brought it up. 
This is like it's out of control. What's happening with these they AJ were, Brown? They were right. You got defensive. You immediately went into defense. <laughs> you went into the prevent defense. That was it. Well, you had the Bo special on the podcast. <laughs> if you missed it somehow, there's been these rumors that the Jets are interested in receivers around the league, and have been making calls about DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, and AJ Brown. And like Jets Twitter is like all aflame with like, we're going to have AJ Brown as our next number one receiver. It's like, you guys got Jersey swaps already. Yes. Like Corey Davis signed after playing in Tennessee and is now the Jets receiver. He's the only Titans receiver that's going to New York. Okay. I'm I'm sorry, but I don't know where these rumors even came from, but there's no chance, no chance that AJ Brown is on the trade block. I, I agree that he's not on the trade block. Uh, I'll provide some context in case people are confused. Why DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel? Those are three guys that were selected in the 2019 NFL draft in the second round, all three of them actually of that draft. Right. And, um, and they're all up for extensions, right? You don't get the fifth year option on those guys uh, because they weren't first round picks. Obviously they're all entering their fourth season uh, in 2022, which means it's the final season of their rookie deal. They're making peanuts compared to what they're worth, obviously, and compared to some of these other receivers. This has been a very interesting offseason in the receiver market. Uh, it's been completely flipped on its head. The market's been reset. Jacksonville gave Christian Kirk four years, $72 million. And as much as that sounds ridiculous, um, <laughs> I mean, the Chargers gave Mike Williams three years, $60 million. That's a lot of money for a, a guy that's been banged up, right? And hasn't sure. always performed to the best visibility. Tampa Bay gave Chris Godwin the same contract, three years, $60 million. Both those guys are making $20 million a year going forward. What happens in, in Green Bay? They don't want to pay Devontae Adams what he thinks he's worth. He gets traded to Vegas. What Actually, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, Correction. sorry. Apparently they said they were willing to. But keep in mind, those negotiations, they were going on for a really long time. A really long time. So obviously there was some sort of hesitancy at some point to give Devontae Adams what he asked for. Because that deal could have been done a long time ago, and it wasn't. Right? This goes back to last summer, I believe, with Devontae Adams in Green Bay. Gets traded to Las Vegas, five years, $141 million. Contract blew my mind. And I think he's the best receiver in football. Right? Tyree Kill, five days later, not even a full week. No one knew Tyree Kill was on the trading block. Gets traded to, to Miami, signs an extension there. That ends up paying him annually more than what Devontae Adams got in Vegas. Devontae Adams was the highest paid receiver in football for five days after signing for five years, $141 million. So I'm not playing devil's advocate here because I do not think the Titans are going to trade A.J. Brown. Do not get me wrong. But let's be honest. If we recorded, if this was a Kansas City Chiefs podcast, we'd probably say there's no way in, in freaking hell that Kansas City Chiefs are trading Tyreek Hill, right? Like, any, this has been the craziest offseason in NFL history. Anything can happen, right? If A.J. Brown asks for $26 million a year, I, I don't. who knows what's going to happen, right? I, I can't say that with certainty. But I do I, feel, I feel pretty you. damn good Yeah, that John Robinson wants to keep A.J. Brown and will keep A.J. Brown. I, I feel good about that. But if this offseason has, has taught us anything, is nothing's impossible. I, I agree nothing's impossible. But some things you just can tell where they're going. And mm-hmm. – at the owners' meetings, everyone's asking John Robinson and Mike Vrabel about AJ, and they're both talking about how they love AJ and they're going to do everything they can to keep him in Tennessee. Like they didn't necessarily say that exactly, but that was the gist of what they said. And, and John just, Robinson said exactly, AJ is a Titan, and we want to keep him a Titan. 
Yes, and that he also said extension talks have begun, and they're in the very preliminary stages. He made that note, but that they have begun. Here's the thing: like you look at Mike Williams' contract, three years, sixty million. Like whatever you think of Mike Williams, when you look at production, Mike Williams last year, eleven hundred forty-six yards and nine touchdowns. He was terrific a- last year. AJ Brown's career high in receiving yards is one thousand seventy-five in a season. Okay, DK Metcalf, not last year, but two years ago. 1,303 yards and 10 touchdowns. Last year, only 967 yards, but 12 touchdowns. A.J. Brown had 11 touchdowns in 2020. He only had five touchdowns last year. He only had 869 receiving yards, and he only played 13 games out of 17. Like, when you're sitting down at the negotiating table and you're Chris Godwin and you have a 1,300-yard season and an 1,100-yard season under your belt, you have a little bit more leverage to say we deserve that kind of $20 million a year contract even though he's coming off a torn ACL. When you're Debo Samuel and you had 1,400 receiving yards last year in addition to 365 rushing yards and eight, eight rushing touchdowns, you have a little bit more sway in saying that Debo Samuel deserves to be paid like one of the top receivers in the league. When you're Tyreek Hill... And you have an 1,100-yard season, a 1,400-yard season, a 1,200-yard, 15-touchdown season, and a 1,200-yard season last year. And you're, like, clearly one of the league's most exciting game-breakers, regardless of whatever off-the-field issues he has. Like, you have more pull in saying that you deserve this kind of money. Now, we all believe A.J. Brown is on his way to being one of the top receivers in football. But right now, I mean... He has less production than all five of those guys we just talked about. Devontae Adams is on a different... I mean, Devontae Adams is probably the best receiver in football. He's on a different plane than A.J. Brown right now. A.J. Brown is not doesn't have the production to demand a $26 million a year contract. He's not going to get that from the Titans, and he's not going to get that on the open market. $20 million a year, $21 million a year. I'm absolutely okay with that, paying him that kind of money. It's not going to start... Ask you. Because I think that's where the negotiations probably end at, $20, 21000000 million a year. Yeah, agreed. And I think that when that when that deal is signed, which I would expect, honestly, June, July, right around the time training camp is starting, A.J. Brown's going to get that extension, the same kind of time period that Taylor Lewan got his, the same kind of time period that Kevin Byard got his. And when it happens, A.J. Brown's 2022 season will still be his rookie contract. He's going to get a big signing bonus, so he's going to get paid for real. But in terms of cap hit, in terms of like salary, his 2022 cap hit's not going to go up. It's not going to affect the books. His 2023 cap hit's going to be high, higher. But guess what? The cap's supposed to rise next year. And the Titans have a way. Yeah, significantly. And the Titans have ways that they can always create money. There's always restructures available. So the idea that A.J. Brown could be traded is be, just like beyond anything I'm willing to entertain right now and, until an actual report emerges that the Titans are taking calls about it. Like, like, I don't know. The, the rumors right now are just, just like people hoping that AJ Brown could be traded. Like there's no, there's literally no actual, yeah. like anything that would indicate it would ever happen. I agree. And, and this whole thing to me, at least again, and I don't think we're going to end up looking foolish on this, but it feels very, Taylor Lewan, Derrick Henry, Kevin Byard, Harold Landry-like, right? Where you knew how much they valued those guys throughout their negotiations, and they brought them all back, right? This isn't Corey Davis. It's not Johnu Smith. It's not Jack Conklin. It's not a Dory Jackson. Like, this to me is very Harold Landry, Derrick Henry-like, right? Where right. it feels like a guy that they're going to pay. And, and he's one of your best players. with Jeffrey Simmons when his time comes. 
And I, like on the other side of the argue, argument, like if you're in, arguing on behalf of A.J. Brown, like his yards per route run, top five in the NFL, targets per route run, top five in the NFL. He's an extremely productive receiver when he does get the ball. He plays on a run-heavy offense. It doesn't throw the ball as much as these other teams that I mentioned. San Francisco doesn't throw the ball that much that either, though, you know? So, like, I, there are arguments to be made that, like, why A.J. Brown's production isn't as high as, say, a Tyreek Hill who plays with Patrick Mahomes. But at the same time, like, you you just know, even as a Titan, even as a biased Titans fan, you wouldn't put AJ Brown on the same level of NFL receiver as Tyreek Hill. Like, would you? I don't no, know. I, at the same time, I mean, look, greed knows no bounds, but the Titans are willing to go to twenty twenty one million dollars a year. Like, I, I don't I don't know that AJ Brown and, and representatives scoff at that. I mean, maybe they do, but I can't imagine that they would. Right. When you look, when you say Mike, that's the contract Mike Williams signed. Mike Williams has been more productive in his. Mike Williams played out five years with with the Chargers. He, he was a first round pick, obviously the year Corey Davis was drafted. Had his fifth year option picked up, so a little bit different situation. You know, AJ's only been in the league three years, but like I said last year, Mike Williams eleven hundred forty six yards is higher than anything that AJ Brown has ever done in his career. So, anyway, if, I think we. If you get the extension done this off season, which you should, it should be very similar to the Mike Williams Chris Godwin contract. Totally agree. And if AJ goes out and has a a and if AJ goes out and has a fifteen hundred yard season next year, then like the Titans did a great job signing him early. And if they don't sign him early, then the price may go up. But I still don't think he ever. I don't think there's a world where AJ Brown is not a Titan in twenty twenty three. So and it would be shocking for sure. It would be shocking. All right, let's move on to the other bit, the last bit of news before we get into draft talk. Jamarco Jones. Now Mike Vrabel is usually very limited on information that he gives to the media. He usually says very generic answers that are a lot of words to say absolutely nothing. He he did not mince words when talking about Jamarco Jones here, saying that he's known Jamarco Jones since he was a 16-year-old. He recruited him to Ohio State. And they that watched... didn't really click for me, by the way, which was really cool to hear him say. That is cool, opinion. by the way. That's cool for both. That's cool for Jamarco Jones. Imagine, like, you're a 16-year-old, and now, and, like, Mike Vrabel comes and recruits you, and now... You're in the NFL, and you have a chance to go play for that guy who recruited you back when you were a high school player. That's that's a pretty cool arc. But Mike Vrabel says that he thinks Jamarco Jones will compete to start at left guard. What do you make of this? Well, his exact words were, this is a player who he thinks best football is in front of him, and uh, we're hoping he could come in and, and start at left guard, be our left guard. Like, that's pretty – I don't want to use the word definitive, but – there's no room for interpretation there, right? Like, and I thought one of the reasons I thought he was being very honest with those comments, again, like shocking of Mike Vrabel to allow us a peek behind the curtain, if you will. But he even kind of explained their decision-making process. If, if you listened close enough, he said, we observed him at left guard last season against the New Orleans Saints. He is telling you essentially a tape that they probably watched this is what you do, right? When you're ahead of free agency, you're trying to identify players you want to go after. They signed Jamarco Jones on day one of free yeah. agency. This was a decision that was made prior to free agency. You knew the price wasn't going to be much. They knew they wanted this guy. They knew they were going to go get him. How did they do that? Studying tape from 2021 season, right? It's pretty straightforward. That's part of the yeah. process. Yeah, this maybe I'm a nerd, but that's why these comments were so interesting to me. I think he flat out told you what was one of those games that sold them on him 
and was one of the reasons they went to go get him to play left guard. He said, we observed him at left guard last year against the New Orleans Saints. They watched tape. Seattle against New Orleans. He got a lot of snaps at left guard. They really liked what they saw. You talk about a trajectory. You revisit what you knew about him when he was 16 and, and so on. You recruited him. You remember what he was like in a prospect. You know a lot of people at Ohio State. Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator there in Seattle last year, runs a you know a fairly similar system. Comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree, which Matt Lafleur originally came from and installed that offense uh, for you in, in, in Tennessee that you still run. I, I find these comments to be very interesting. Yeah, I do too, and I think that you know more so than when he was like when he was signed. I think the consensus amongst Titans fans was, "Here's your new swing lineman. He can play all four spots outside of center." And now hearing these comments, I'm thinking like, this guy may be your starting left guard. My Dylan Raiden's left guard theory may be thrown in the trash can. And we're I think that- I'm still going to rub in your face once it's confirmed. <laughs> I won't do it yet because we're not there yet, but I will. We had that good little argument. I haven't forgotten. Oh, yeah. I mean, I never I never declared it as a definitive. But anyway, uh, that's a side. Oh, um, that's a smooth backpedal. You might want to <laughs> play corner for the time. Next year. I heard they're, they're looking for one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that Jamarco Jones could be your left guard. And I think what this does, there, there's a couple of possible things that could be going on here. Because, like we said, Mike Vrabel is not usually so candid with the media. This could be a potential smokescreen. The Titans could be targeting an interior offensive lineman with that first round draft pick, and they don't want to tip their hand. And they're like, hey, NFL, we got our starting left guard. We don't need one there. Maybe. I think that that's honestly a long shot. Um, it could be that he's going to compete with Raidens for the left guard spot, and the Titans are looking for a tackle in the draft this year. So there's a few ways this could be kind of red, but I think, honestly, the most obvious one is the way the correct way to read this, and that's that you're looking at your not necessarily going to win the job, but your training camp day one starter at left guard is likely Jamarco Jones. And if you're curious, Titans fans, our friend James at No Flags Film back on March 14th, tweeted out a three-minute cut-up of Jamarco Jones's tape. And just uh, Monday, yesterday, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, our buddy Tic Tac Titans put out a two-minute tape of Jamarco Jones from specifically from that New Orleans Saints game. So if you're curious about what Mike Vrabel and John Robinson saw, I would go check out those two videos out there on Twitter right now. You, you're right. There's a lot of ways to interpret it. But no matter what, it's intriguing to me. And again, I, I'm trying not to overthink it, but... If then all these possibilities, right? We can go through a couple of them and, and, and we'll, I'll make this quick. But you said, oh, an alternative is that Jamarco Jones and Dylan Radens are going to battle for left, the left guard starting job. Fine. Then I can still make a conclusion from that. That tells me they're very much in the market for a right tackle, right? And that they might go right tackle in the first round. And that takes guard off the table in the first round, right? If you've got already Jamarco Jones and Dylan Radens battling for that spot, you better not draft a left guard in the first draft because that doesn't make any sense when you've already got those two guys and you invested some capital into them. Obviously, Ravens being a sophomore second rounder. If Jamarco Jones is your left guard and you don't see uh, and, and you don't see that being a competition with Ravens, and that tells me they view Ravens as a right tackle. That's another intriguing uh, takeaway you can take from that. Right. Alternatively, last but not least, um, if, if that's the, if that's how it plays out, they see Jones as a left guard and Ravens as a right tackle then I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that left the guards off the table. I mean, 
I, I don't think you're so confident in Marco Jones that you're not going to draft a guard at 26 that you love because you have Marco Jones, right? So don't get me wrong. There's a lot of possible outcomes here still, but uh, the comments are very intriguing. And uh, if I have to make a prediction, go with my gut. It's that uh, Jones is a left guard and Raiders is a right tackle. I, I'm with you on that, actually. I, I mean, as much as I'd love my theory to be true just for the sake of me being right, I think that that is the most likely outcome here. And we'll see how the Titans attack the first round of the draft. I think that'll tell us a lot. I mean, obviously, there are seven rounds, so the first round isn't everything. But if they take a right tackle in the first round, you know, if they take Penning or Trevor Penning or somebody like that, if he falls to 26, then you're, you're saying, is Dylan Radins an NFL starter at this point? Is he a bust of a second-round pick? Because... If he's not your starting right tackle and he's not your starting left guard, then what is he? And that would yeah. be back-to-back -back tackle picks that were absolutely wasted and a third straight tackle pick if they take another one at 26 <laughs> in the first two rounds. So interesting way to construct a roster, but at the same time, the offensive line is all important and you got to get your guys there. So I think it's a good segue for us now to start talking about the NFL draft. And we're going to cover the quarterbacks today and we're going to cover the linebackers, but I think this is pointing us in a direction now that – a lot of Titans fans would like to go because I think you're right. I think your starting left guard is going to be Jamarco Jones, even if you draft someone. You know, like Nate Davis was a third-round pick. He didn't start day one as a rookie. Uh, Isaiah Wilson, we all know, was a first-round pick. He didn't start ever as a right tackle. Dylan Radins was a second-round pick. He didn't start except for when he had to at left tackle against the Niners for one game because Taylor Lewan was hurt. So... You know, even if they take a guard or a tackle in the first round, the odds that they are a day one starter with this team, I think, are pretty low. So I think you are looking at Jamarco Jones as your left guard and Dylan Radins as your right tackle and Aaron Brewer as your primary interior swing guy and Kendall Lamb is gone and uh, David Questenberry is gone. So I don't know who your swing tackle is right now. They're still going to draft linemen, in my opinion. They are. Maybe two of them. Definitely yeah. one, maybe two. It just more becomes about where do they draft that guy. If you're taking a guard in the first round, I mean, I, I, I hope he would start rather quickly. And yeah. hell, if you're taking a tackle in the first round, I hope he would start rather quickly. Right? Yeah, if you, if doing, your first round pick should be a contributor early. So, yes. So if you're, if you're doing those things, then, and that'll obviously give us the ultimate clarity. Once that is in the rearview mirror, we will have a really good guess. It will probably be correct on how they view these players. And I mentioned Questenberry being gone, but he he's still a free agent. He could be brought back at any point. He just wasn't tendered the way that that the Titans could have used the tender. So we'll see if they uh, negotiate a, a more a less expensive deal with him than what the tender would have paid, which I think would have been like two point five million or something like that for one season. So um, looking at where the Titans could go, then I really think it's pointing towards a player on offense because we already mentioned this earlier this episode. The edge group is set. We know that they have three starting cornerbacks, even though there are some reports the Titans could be looking at a cornerback. I think that was more opinion than reporting from Teron Davenport. Um, they don't need a safety, obviously. And, I mean, I think the defense is set. You, you bring you bring a first-round defensive player in, they're sitting on the bench the majority of the season. You bring a first-round lineman in, they might be able to crack the starting lineup. You bring a first-round wide receiver in, they're playing. They may not play a whole lot, but they're going to play a, a good bit Robert Woods recovering from a torn ACL <laughs> should play quite a bit. Who's your number three receiver right now? Nick Westbrook. I mean, there, there are snaps to be had with the release of Julio Jones and Chester Rogers is not on the team right now. And Marcus Johnson is not on the team right now. Like there are receiver snaps to go around. Yeah. Yeah. They're free agents. So they, they could be brought back still for training camp or something, but they are, they are not currently Titans. So you look at 
what position the Titans could be targeting. Tight end, a little rich to spend a first-round pick on a tight end when you don't have Kyle Pitts in the draft. And if you did, he'd be a top 10 pick. So, like, a 26th overall pick, I mean, Hayden Hurst was drafted in that range, but that's not, <laughs> that's not that exciting of an idea when you're talking about it, when you're looking at what the Titans could do. I really think it points to two potential options. Wide receiver, which we're going to cover extensively on a later episode. Or one that I honestly don't think is very likely, but we're going to get into it pretty deep right now, and that's the quarterback position. There's a few guys being touted as first-round talents. There's a lot of connections being thrown out there between Desmond Ritter and the Titans. There was a mock draft on NFL.com recently published that had the Titans trading up for Matt Corral. What do you make of this quarterback class as someone who's watched all the top guys? Do you see the Titans possibly drafting one in the first round this year? And if so, who would that be? No, I, I don't think the Titans will draft one in the first round this year. And it, it's tough to say who that will be. I would say it's probably narrowed down to two options if you were to go that route in the first round, that is. It's probably uh, Desmond Ritter um, and uh, and Kenny Pickett from the University of Pittsburgh, right? Because I, I don't think Malik Willis is going to be there. I think you could pretty much scratch that off the table. I mean, he's going top five, it looks like, at this point. With the way that, that he's aced this pre-draft process, I can't imagine you're going to get yourself into a position to select Malik Willis. You know, Kenny Pickett's a guy that I could see sliding uh, to a back end of the first round due to the hand size and some of the concerns there. And, and Ritter, same thing. I, I think there's a chance that Ritter could be available uh, in, in the early to late 20s. I, I think there's a chance Ritter's not even a first-round pick. I, I, I don't think it's a, it's a lock that he's a first-round pick. I think he probably will be, but I don't think it's a lock. What do I make of this class? Um, it's not a very good one, you know, in, in my opinion. And look, it, it could, you know, quarterbacks are tough to predict, you know, and heck, I'll, I'll raise my hand up and I hope you don't turn off this podcast and say, uh, you know, I, I was wrong about a lot of them myself, right? I, I think Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston were, were two of the best quarterbacks coming out in college in recent memory. I had bona fide elite grades on both of them. I did not love the Carson Wentz and, and Jared Goff class. So I uh, pat myself on the back for that one a little bit because I don't think Wentz or Goff have turned out to be very good. And, and they went one, two. Uh, but quarterbacks are tough to predict. It really is, right? Landing spot and, and environment, uh, you know, mental toughness, uh, willingness to work. There's so much that goes into the evaluation of a quarterback. And, and I, I'm going to quote one of my colleagues at the Draft Network here, Joe Marino. And I love to remind him every chance I get, and we laugh about it, that he, he hated the Josh Allen pick when they made it. He's a Buffalo Bills fan, if our listeners are not aware, Joe Marino is. He hated the Josh Allen pick. He was cursing up and down when, when they made the pick, right? And you look how that's turned out. And he told me recently, uh, Joe did, that the biggest mistake he made about his, his pre-draft uh, evaluation of, of Josh Allen is, and it sounds cliche, but it's, it's, it's true, it's Josh Allen had all those tools and one thing you got to take into account is how hard is that guy willing to work, right, on improving, on getting better? Because we can tell you now that Josh Allen is extremely dedicated to his craft and worked his ass off day and night to get better, to, to turn those moldable tools into tangible results, right? So that matters with a guy like Malik Willis, right? Because that's another guy that's coming out this year that's very raw, right? Josh Allen was raw coming out of Wyoming. Malik Willis is extremely raw coming out of Liberty, has all the arm talent in the world, will make some throws that really impress you and, and blow you away. But there's a lot of head-scratching moments on tape as well. And, and by all accounts, I've heard nothing but great things about Malik Willis, the human being. So I, I trust him to put in the work. But 
uh, you know, that doesn't mean he's going to be Josh Allen for sure, right? There's a lot of guys that are hard workers that don't, you know, reach the potential that they're capable of reaching. And sometimes it's not their fault, right? It's just, it is what it is. So um, I got to meet Malik Willis uh, before the last that. college football season and a really interesting, funny moment that happened. So we were doing a podcast interview for NFL and Bucky Brooks was doing the interview. And before the interview started, um, Bucky had just spoken to all the quarterbacks about how to like talk to media and how to do interviews and and like not say a lot but like say the right things and so Malik sits down and Bucky's asking him questions about like scheme and and like how he reads certain things and Malik's like giving him very non-answer answers and after the camera's cut Bucky's like man I gave you that advice but you're still supposed to give me the good stuff and Malik's like I can't answer those things on tape, man. But like now that the camera's cut off, like we can really get into it. And like they actually started having an interesting football discussion. And it was really cool to see like that switch flip. And I think that that's the kind of leadership trade and just like awareness and understanding. Like it's not even a football related thing, but just like the type of person that I think, you know, can lead a team as a quarterback. He's a little soft-spoken, a little Marcus Mariota-esque in that regard. So I wonder how some teams Uh-oh. value that that leadership quality like some guys i mean you saw aj brown best leader ever been around about marcus mariota some guys really value that like quiet example setter leader and some guys would rather you have like a tom brady who's gonna yell at your receivers and hold them accountable so i don't know that malik willis is gonna be the guy yelling at receivers when they run the wrong route but hey totally different setting going to to do a little media interview for a podcast than it is like being on the practice field with your teammates. So it's hard to like really judge him from that regard. But I will say I, I like Malik Willis a lot. I think he's really exciting. He makes some incredible throws, but he's it's peppered in with some pretty off, inaccurate, off-target throws as well. So I, the, there's a big grab bag of, of potential there, but it's still just potential, I think. It's, it's crazy to say this, but I feel so confident saying that there's going to be no in-between with Malik Willis. He's either going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL or he's not going to be a, a starting caliber quarterback, right? Like, is there any scenario, is there any universe where Malik Willis settles into like 13 to 18th range starting quarterback level in the NFL? Right. Is he Ryan Tannehill? Is he Derek Carr? I don't think that's the Malik Willis outcome. That's not on the spectrum of potential outcomes. I think he's either a top five, top six quarterback or he's Geno Smith, right? Or he's Patrick Mahomes or he's Geno Smith. Those are kind of the two comparisons that, that come to mind for me because there's a lot of hope for Geno back in the day uh, as well, right? And I know he ended up being a second round pick, but I, I just don't know obviously which outcome is, is, go, is going to come to fruition, but I feel like he's either Willis experience, right? He's either Kyler Murray or he's Deshaun Kaiser. Like it's right. Yeah. Two opposite ends. Exactly. Right. It's speaking of speaking, speaking of Deshaun Kaiser, um, a guy that's been really linked to the Titans lately is Desmond Ritter, who went to Cincinnati where Luke Fickle is the head coach. (laughs) Famously, uh, Luke Fickle was the best man at Mike Vrabel's wedding. So if the Titans want information on Ritter, they're going to get it pretty easily, I think. And they're going to get honest, accurate information there. Man, does this kid remind me of Deshaun Kaiser. <laughs> I am out on the Ritter experience. I'm sorry. I know a lot of Titans fans think that he could be a quarterback of the future. I saw somebody tweet literally this morning. Uh, it was like, it just completed my Ritter evaluation. And if this guy is not at least a serviceable starting NFL quarterback, then I have to trash my whole process or something like that. I mean, I haven't watched that much tape on the kid, but... I just don't see it. And I hope the Titans do not go that direction with their first round pick. 
I've watched a lot of tape on Desmond Ritter, and the issue that I have is all my evaluations are essentially the same. I'll give you two of them really quickly. I watched the Notre Dame game from this past season. Good game, you know, gave, gave him a, a good grade for that. And I, I kind of, you know, because I'm such a nerd, at the end of my, of my notes, I'll typically write a very short synopsis on how I felt about the player in that game and that performance. I said, look, the guy played a, a generally good game, led Cincinnati to a big win, right, over a historic program like Notre Dame. He rushes for a, a game-winning touchdown uh, near the end of the game, right? And, and that was huge. It's a big play. Reminds you of some stuff that Ryan Tannehill's done, right, uh, for the Titans. And Ritter compared himself to Tannehill at the combine. Um, but, and this is a, a big but for me, the inconsistent ball placement and general inaccuracy bothers me a ton. There are some impressive throws here on tape, but the misses are always present, and boy, are they frustrating. And that is every Desmond Ritter game you can ever watch. The general lack of consistent ball placement, the struggles with accuracy, they're always there. They're really frustrating, and those are traits that do not typically improve at the next yeah. level. And that, right. for me, is a really difficult pill to swallow. I know he had a great combine He's super athletic. He'll make things happen off script at times. He'll pick up first downs. He'll move the chains with his legs. I think there's a very, you know, maybe I'm slightly higher on him than you because I do think there's a chance that he's kind of like a Ryan Tannehill. And I hate using that comparison because I, he compared himself to Tannehill and this is a Titans podcast and Tannehill's the starting quarterback. But uh, I think there's a chance where he can be a, 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 a very decent and, you know, I don't want to say very, a, a decent starting quarterback that you can win with if everything else is going right around them. But guess what? The Titans already have that guy at quarterback. Call me crazy, but I'm not replacing Ryan Tannehill with Ryan Tannehill, right? Like, I think if I'm replacing Ryan Tannehill, it's because I'm striving for more right? Because yeah. I'm aiming for higher than that. And yes, I realize you picked 26th overall, and it's going to be really difficult to get that guy. You're probably going to win a lot of games this year again. And if you want to replace Tannehill in 2023, you're going to have an equally hard of a time as you're having this year. Who cares? I'm not forcing the pick just because of that, right? Like I'm not, what are you doing if you do that? If he becomes Ryan Tannehill, all you did was extend the process of trying to find the next guy. Right. So that's and you, that's you the, take, that's the beef that I have with the Desmond Ritter rumor. You take thirty million dollars off the cap off the sure. books because and that's great. Don't get me wrong, but did when the Titans lo- answer me this, and I know that wasn't I, I've heard other people say that, but answer yeah. me this: when the Titans lost that game to the Cincinnati Bengals last season, did any did any point did you say or did you have a single bone in your body that said, man? If Tannehill cost $20 million less and they had a couple more guys in that lineup there, they would have won that game. Of course not. That's not, that's, I'm with you. That's not what it's about. <laughs> and to me, like, if you're basing when you're drafting, if you're basing when you're drafting a quarterback on the fact that, like, that it's going to be difficult to draft one high in 2023, like, that's the wrong process to me. Like, your yeah. process should be identify a guy that you think can be a franchise player, an elite player a top five to top 10 quarterback in this league for 20 years and if you identify that guy then you go get him but if you if you're just saying we need a new quarterback because we need a new quarterback let's pick 
out of a hat in this draft because next year we're going to be picking at the back and there's a lot of teams with two first round picks who might need a quarterback next year who could move in front of the Titans like that's not the way to evaluate the quarterback position to me that's a that's a flawed process and I think what the Titans are going to do just speaking philosophically here I am I would be floored if they drafted a high round quarterback this year after everything they've said about wanting to commit one more season to surrounding Ryan Tannehill with the best possible weapons and go at it again and like not basing their evaluation on Tannehill at the player on one game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Like this is and still you to get right. Austin Hooper and Robert Woods. Like you try to put some pieces around him. Right. And, and that leads me back to my other theory, which is that this, this looks a whole lot like the Titans are leaning towards a wide receiver in the first round. And also to say that, you know, this is a guy who led a team that didn't have a lot of weapons around him to the number one overall seed. And when he did have some of those weapons around him, they beat the Bills and they beat the Chiefs in the regular season. They beat the Rams without Derrick Henry. Like, this quarterback led that team through to all those wins. And they have a veteran guy. They have the option to look at veteran guys next year if they really want to move on from Tannehill and they don't think they'll be in a position to draft someone. Like, look at the QB carousel of, of changing teams that happened this offseason it feels like the nfl is heading to a place where that becomes more and more common when you know five ten years ago if a if a elite level quarterback changed teams it was one of the craziest like peyton manning changing teams was an insane thing that happened that that never happens brett Favre had to retire twice before he could change teams like carson palmer had to retire for a few years before he like it just doesn't happen and it happens way more often now so i think that if the Titans are in the market for a new quarterback next year, which, I, I mean, honestly, I don't even know if they will be. Like, they still have Tannehill under contract for two more years, so they don't need to look for a new quarterback next offseason if Tannehill performs like he did in 2020 and 2019. If he performs like he did in 2021 again and you've upgraded around him, then, yeah, you start to look at replacing him. But there's a lot of ways to replace your quarterback in today's NFL. I'm not suggesting the Titans do what the Colts are doing, but, like, this time last year, no one, no one thought Matt Ryan would be available for trade this offseason. I mean, no one thought, I mean, I guess there were rumors that Russell Wilson could be moving teams around this time last year, but like, there's just a lot of options that could present themselves this time next year that you don't even imagine as possibilities right now. So pigeonholing yourself into drafting a quarterback at 26 just because you think you might need to start looking to replace Tannehill, I just don't see it happening. That said, if Kenny Pickett's there at 26, take him. (laughs) (laughs) Contradict everything you said. But I think Kenny Pickett is a player that could develop into a high-level starter. Will he? I don't know. Are the hand sizes a concern? Maybe. I don't know. He played in Pittsburgh, like where the weather's not great. Joe Reno. I hate hate bringing up Joe so many times on this episode because we pretend we're mortal enemies. But Desmond Ritter, 10-inch hands, just as many fumbles as Kenny Pickett in college. There you go. And Desmond Ritter at six foot three looks smaller than Malik Willis, who's six foot zero on tape. Like, I don't know what it is about him. I don't like his mechanics. He likes to fall away throwing. His elbow angle doesn't look great. His the arm angle he throws with is a little low, a little slightly sidearmy to me. He had three passes batted down in the first half of the Alabama playoff game. Like it just I don't see the NFL starter there. I just don't. I'll talk about Kenny Pickett really quickly because I didn't really get to touch on him as much as I would have liked to. Uh, Easily the most pro-ready quarterback in this class. Yes, the ceiling probably isn't as high as Malik Willis's, but if I was playing a football game tomorrow, I had to pick one of these quarterbacks to win me a game tomorrow. um, I would pick Kenny Pickett and I wouldn't think twice. Right? I think 
Uh, the tape with him is so consistent. I know he took a big step forward in 2021. People have their questions about that. But look, this is a guy that was playing in the same offense, same offensive coordinator, same head coach, same weapons. Not like he got a Jamar Chase at receiver all of a sudden in college and he took off. He's playing with the same guys he had played for for years. So uh, nothing to really see there. I think it's just really a guy that finally came into his own and was really healthy um, as well. And the every pass game, attempts, the passing yeah. volume took a yes. tremendous leap also. So like every, every Kenny Pickett game is the same. And I mean that in a good way. What does he do? Throws great touchdown passes. He makes great decisions. Uh, great in the pocket. Good movement there. Good awareness. Enough athletic ability to move around uh, and pick up first downs with his legs. Not a dynamic athlete, but he's certainly good enough uh, to move to move with his legs, move the chains. Um, most NFL-ready quarterback in this class, not even a question. Uh, obviously, the small hands is a little bit older. Right? I believe he's already 24 years old, so that could play into your evaluation as well. But who cares? He's 24. If he's your quarterback for the next 12 years, he's 36. Who gives a damn? Yeah. You know what to I me, mean that just him? means to me that just means he's more ready to start day one than a 22 or 21 year old. Sure, would be. he's he's ready to start. Right? I, I am hesitant to say that I think he's got a great chance to turn into a elite quarterback, but I think he's got a really good chance to turn into a very safe, quality starting quarterback. And I think that he brings a lot of fire to the team as well, like some swagger. Maybe Good not, player, man. Maybe not quite Joe Burrow levels, but you know, you see him getting hyped up on the field, and I think that that hypes his teammates up. And I think well, that that attitude is present in the locker room and on the sidelines. And that's it, the kind of guy you want leading your team, in my opinion. The NFL pre-draft process, at least for um, draft, you know, draft Twitter and fans, it's all about the sexiness, right? Not a whole lot sexy about Kenny Pickett. But he's a good quarterback, man. He really is. And this is why Malik Willis has risen above him, right? It's the arm talent, the jaw dropping, the what if, right? The what if with Malik. I always think, I think it's an episode of Family Guy. I'm sure we got some Family Guy fans on here where Peter Griffin is at some sort of boat. Yes, right? (laughs) Yeah, the boat or the mystery box. Right. Well, what if the mystery box could be anything? What if it's a boat? (laughs) He doesn't take the boat because the mystery box could have a boat in it. So that's almost the Kenny Pickett Malik Willis discussion. Right. Yeah. If I'm not your favorite draft analyst, you show me another one that has family guy analogies for (laughs) the NFL draft. But that that's the Kenny Pickett Malik Willis discussion in a nutshell. I agree. And I think those two guys are your first round talents in this class. That doesn't mean they're the only two that get drafted in the first round because the NFL is crazy and quarterback starved as usual. I think just from my own personal evaluation, those two guys are your first round talents. If the Titans find themselves with a second round pick somehow via trade back or trade up, if they can do it into the second, I mean, from like the third and fourth rounds, they have two fourth round picks. I would, I would expect, you know, that's when they start looking at a potential quarterback. I don't, I mean, I still don't think they will. I still think that this draft is going to be about restocking playmakers and offensive linemen. But if they, and tight end for sure, but if they do have their eye on one of these quarterbacks, I think a second or third round pick on a Carson Strong, Sam Howell, one of those types of guys, Desmond Ritter to me falls in that range, even though he might end up being going in the first round. I think that he's like more of a second or third round talent. Um, what do you think of some of those other guys that we haven't touched on? I, at all? I don't dislike Sam Howell. I, I like him a bit more. I think he gets credit for. I think the tape is a bit of an unfair evaluation on Sam Howell in 2021. Because one thing I'll say about him that I don't think he gets enough credit for, he's a friggin' gamer, man. He's tough. He's a gamer. North Carolina, they didn't have anyone up front that can pass protect. 
they didn't have any weapons at receiver or running back. Look at the guys they lost last year in the yeah. draft. I, I won't remember them all off the top of my head, but Javante Williams and Michael Carter at running back. Uh, Daz Newsom was a really big wide receiver for them. Like, who is he playing with this year? You they had another wide game. receiver. They I'm had sorry? a second receiver drafted last year, too. They had two receivers go last year. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I can't – escapes me right now, but um, they probably had an O-lineman or two, right? But he didn't play with anyone this year, man. Nobody at all. You watch that game. Diami Brown. Oh, yes, yeah. Really interesting prospect Diami Brown was. You watch Sam Howell against Pittsburgh this past season. I felt terrible for him. They, they made Pittsburgh's defense look like Kirby Smart's Georgia from this past year like Pittsburgh okay. was had look like they had a bunch of five-star elite athletes there like he didn't stand a damn chance in that game but what did he do he hung in there and he kept battling don't get me wrong I'm not crazy high on him but I think he's got some traits man he's really athletic lots of really good runs he had to run this year's running for his life most of the time but there are some very positive flashes on tape with Sam Howell and the Titans were at his pro day right I mean as they should be so they obviously did some homework. Um, you're talking about some other guys. Carson Strong's obviously a big one. This is a guy that's um, uh, played in the air raid, uh, so to speak, but I thought the mechanics were really clean on him. I know the air raid sometimes gets a bad vibe. Oh, it's, you know, it's a gimmicky offense. It's not NFL ready. Um, he makes some really good throws, Carson Strong on tape, and I thought his mechanics were really, really clean. There are some concerns there with his knee. I think the medicals will be big for him. And he does lack athletic ability. This is not a guy that's a, a great athlete. He takes what the defense gives him, but he's really smart. He wins with his mind. The arm talent is there. I think he's around three quarterback, if we're being fair. Around three or four, maybe he gets overdrafted in the second round because he plays quarterback. But he's a guy that would really intrigue me if he's available in the third and fourth round. Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky is another one that would intrigue me in round four or later. The numbers are ungodly, right? Playing in that Western Kentucky system that throws the ball 150 times a game. It feels like he had 62 touchdown passes, I think it was, this past year. But I, I like a guy that's got that much experience throwing the football. So, Akil Glass, right? Zach, yeah, I was, Zach will I was want to talk about Akil Glass on this podcast, the F-Words pod, because uh, I believe the Titans were at his pro day or one of the only teams at they his were, pro day. The Titans... Day. According to a report, who knows if this is accurate, the Titans were the only team to go to the Alabama A&M Pro Day. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm shocked that no one else would have, would have wanted to be there. Y'all call Paul at, on Twitter. Y'all call Paul. Who the heck knows who this guy is? It's crazy. The Titans were the only team to show up to Alabama A&M Pro Day. Is that real? I have to call <laughs> Paul and ask. Teron Davenport, a big fan of, of Akil Glass as well. He might be UDFA territory, though. He might be six round pick. He could be there uh, this year's um... Cole McDonald. Yeah, or, or the other. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Any other quarterbacks? Did we touch on Matt Corral at all? Corral really athletic, right? Really athletic. Unfortunately, suffered that terrible injury near the end of the season. I wonder how much that set him back because I remember him. You know, October, November ish. He was quarterback one for some people. He yeah. really was. So. Uh, he had a, he had a good year, you know, when he was out there on the field, the best year of his career, hands down played in a, again, that was, I believe an air raid system there in Ole Miss. Um, what a great head coach that knows how to develop quarterbacks, obviously. Um, but you know, he's lost a lot of steam throughout this process. Corral has. So I'm really curious to see where he ends up. He, he's super athletic, a lot of fun from an athletic standpoint. Yeah. Um, but long story short, I think if the Titans take a quarterback in this draft, it's happening on day three. 
because they seem committed to Ryan Tannehill. My read on the situation is that they are committed to Ryan Tannehill, at least for one more season as the starter and maximizing what they can do around him. And if you, it's just the opportunity cost. If you spend your first round pick on a quarterback, you can't spend your first round pick on Chris Olave or Traylon Burks or, or some other player, or even a Trey McBride or somebody that would be considered a reach but would at least contribute this year. You know what I mean? Like th- I think that's, that's the big difference. Or even if it's not until next year that Trey McBride takes over as your starting tight end, like a guy that can make plays in the red zone. And, and I don't know, I, I'm fully on board with the Titans taking a wide receiver in the first round or an offensive lineman or somebody that's going to better your offense this season and not necessarily looking and planning for that future because Super Bowl windows are short. And as much as the Titans' playoff performance was disappointing last year, they were still the one seed in the AFC. And the AFC may have got a lot better this offseason, or maybe those are just on-paper moves that don't work out. I mean, we see this happen almost every year where crazy moves happen that don't work out. And I know the AFC West looks a lot better with the Chargers adding J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack, with the Raiders adding Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones, with the Broncos adding Russell Wilson and actually having a real quarterback to go with a pretty stout roster. I mean, yeah, it's a tough conference, and the Titans play the AFC West this year, but they're still a team that beat most of these teams a season ago without their best player, with A.J. Brown missing a handful of games, with Julio Jones being a shell of himself until like week 18, basically. And I think that this is a team that's going to try to go with Ryan Tannehill one more time run it back with better weapons, and hopefully they get better pass protection around him. Hopefully the defense continues to play at an elite level, bringing back basically every starter that ended the season except for Jack Rabbit Jenkins, who they're hoping to upgrade with Caleb Farley, or we'll see if somebody else ends up being that starting cornerback with the free agency still. I mean, Stephon Gilmore is obviously not getting the money that he thought he was going to get. And you know the Titans have those Patriots connections. So anyway, all that to say, we talk a lot about quarterbacks but I, I just don't see it happening this year. I don't see it either. You said it. Super Bowl windows are short, and I know the AFC got a lot better, but let's be honest. Taylor Lewan, Derek Henry, Ryan Tannehill, maybe Kevin Byard, these guys are starting to wind down a little bit, right? Like they're in, they're in the twilight years of their, at least of their high level careers, right? The prime of their careers. Your Super Bowl window is getting smaller. You're still in one, it's really small. I don't know it makes a lot of sense to hit reset right now. It might next offseason, and it wouldn't shock me if it does, and, and some of those guys I just mentioned are gone, right, especially Taylor Lewan and Ryan Tannehill potentially, but right. I don't think you're hitting the restart button this offseason. Right. All right, Let's before we get out of this episode that's starting to run pretty long, let's get into the linebackers briefly. Are there any guys that the Titans should draft at any point at the linebacker position, knowing that they already have Zach Cunningham, David Long, Monty Rice, Dylan Cole, Ola Daney, who is an edge but can play in li- inside linebacker as well. Any reason to draft a linebacker this year? Not until day three. I mean, I think you should feel really good about David Long, Zach Cunningham, and, and, and even Monty Rice going forward. Why don't I just give you a quick rundown on some of my thoughts on linebackers? I'll do this rapid fire because... I don't think the Titans should have a ton of interest in, in many of these guys, especially the high-end ones. But but just in case, what... but just in case they pick one on day three, I'll have a clip I can pull and tweet that Saturday <laughs> because you're about to say it right now. Go. 
Well, I don't know if I'm going to say it right now because I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but um, <laughs> if people are interested in my overall thoughts in general, uh, Devin Lloyd is my number one linebacker in this draft out of Utah, 6'3", 237, 33-inch arms and wingspan greater than 80 inches. Uh, testing wasn't all that great, 35-inch vert, 466 in the 40. I'm in love with this player. He's my linebacker one. The debate, everyone's debating between him and Nicobe Dean. I'll be honest. For me personally, it's not that close. I'll tell you why a little bit. I think Devin Lloyd, when I watch the tape, what an incredibly athletic, instinctive player that's extremely physical with a, a high football IQ, reads the game at an extremely high level. I have some questions about his ability and coverage, but overall, I thought he played pretty good there in 2021. I love the player. 6'3", 240, right? This is just a guy. This is a guy. You know what I mean? When I watch Kobe <laughs> Dean, 5'11", 229. I don't even know if that 229 is really accurate. Might have bulked up for the combine. I don't think he really played at 229 for the majority of the season. Not that I don't like Nicobe Dean. Don't get me wrong. He's very much today's linebacker, very athletic, uh, good player in coverage. Certainly no concerns there. What I worry about Nicobe Dean is the size. Everyone tends to fall in love with this type of player pre-draft. Do you remember Patrick Queen out of LSU? You remember Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma? Both of those guys had a ton of pre-draft buzz in the first round. Uh, sorry, pre-draft buzz before their draft years. They both went in the first round. They were today's linebacker. They are both not very good. They have not turned into very good professional players. Guess what? Both of those teams cannot stop the run to save their freaking lives. The Los Angeles Chargers draft, drafted Murray. What did it have to do this offseason? Go get Sebastian Joseph Day. Go get Khalil Mack. Go get Austin Johnson. Go get a bunch of big bodies in the middle because they couldn't keep Kenneth Murray clean and he can't get off blocks because he's too small. Once linemen get up to him on the second level, it's over for him. The Baltimore Ravens couldn't stop anything this past season. Patrick Queen has not turned into a very good player for them. I like Nicobe Dean, don't get me wrong. I think he carries some of that potential for me, some of that concern that he's a Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen type player. I don't have those concerns with Devin Lloyd. He's a three-down starter immediately. I love Devin Lloyd. I got a top 10 grade on him. I don't care if that sounds too high. I freaking love Devin Lloyd. He's a hell of a football player. Uh, some of the other linebackers I will quickly run through. I won't take up too much of your time. Probably my favorite one that's not going to go in the first round is Chad Muma from Wyoming. 6'3", 239. Blew up the combine, 10-inch hands, 40-inch vertical, 4.63 in the 40 was a solid result, 10-foot, 9-inch broad. You watch a tape, there's just no concerns. A smart linebacker with terrific recognition skills. He's got great size for the position. He's super physical, attacks downhill, football player through and through. He's one of those guys where before you turn on the tape, and I'm not saying I did this. I actually said this to him off the record, and we kind of laughed about it, and I'll tell you guys the story. How many people went into Chad Muma's tape and said, Chad Muma, about to watch this white linebacker from Wyoming who's going to be a lunch pail, bring his hard hat to work kind of guy, reads the game at a high level. Probably not all that athletic, though. Chad Muma from Wyoming, that sounds like a two-down backer. No, he went to the combine. He showed you how freaking athletic he is. I absolutely love Chad Muma. I, I guarantee he's going to turn into an excellent pro. Uh, the kid from LSU uh, really intrigues me, Damone Clark. Unfortunately, uh, just came out that he's got a, a spinal injury, I believe it is, has been ruled out for almost all of his rookie campaign. That's really unfortunate. It makes you wonder where he gets drafted or if he gets drafted at all. This is a guy you roll the dice on late, right, if he's there because he's a top 75 player if he's healthy. Extremely athletic tackle machine, sideline to sideline ability. That, that back thing's a freak injury, man, because he was a full performer at the Combine. 
33-inch arms, 457 in the 40, 36-and-a-half-inch first, 10-foot, 7-inch broad. He's a good athlete, had a really nice combine. People didn't talk about it enough. I really like him. That thing is really unfortunate. One guy I don't love as much, I'll be honest, I got a lower grade on him than most people do, is Christian Harris, the linebacker out of Alabama. I don't really see it with him. Plufkin at six foot two twenty six. You know, the wingspan is 76 inches, 32-inch arms, not a very long guy. The broad was terrific. 11-foot broad blew it away. The vert was slightly disappointing at 34 and a half inches. I don't know about the guy. I, I'm really not a big fan, and I know there are a couple people in the Draft Network roundtable, our, our scouts that are with me. Very interesting conversation we have daily uh, at the Draft Network. Christian Harris has been a part of that. I know some of our scouts absolutely are blown away with him. You know, and, and some others, I think the grade wasn't as high, but they're still finalizing their grades, so don't hold me to that. Uh, another guy I will quickly shout out, oh, how about the kids from Georgia? Quay Walker, uh, terrific, 6'4", 241, uh, excellent 40 time, my God, 4'5", 2, at 6'4", 241, that's a great time. Really like the way he plays the game, really athletic, intriguing player. Uh, Brian Asamoa, Oklahoma, six foot two twenty six. Another guy that I think is an insane athlete. Really solid combine. Another one we didn't talk about enough. Ten inch hands, four five six in the 40, 36 and a half inch vert, uh, ten foot four inch broad. Really athletic, smart player. Plays sideline to sideline. A little undersized again, but if you're looking in that round three range, I think he makes a lot of sense. How about Troy Anderson out of Montana State? I mean, this guy played quarterback, linebacker, and running back. At Montana State last year, they, wow. he was playing linebacker. Then they put him in at running back. You watch the kids tape. They show you both at the same He's playing linebacker. Then he's playing running back. It doesn't make any freaking sense. It's absolutely ridiculous. How about you have fun with him? Don't worry about him. 6'3", 243, 10-foot, 8-inch broad, 36-inch vert, 4'4", 2 in the 40s, 6'3", 243. The kid is a ridiculous athlete, a little raw at linebacker because he split his time at running back. You can't really blame him. But one thing I'll tell you is he works his ass off. He's extremely physical, tough-natured, hard-nosed. He's going to get a lot better because all that he, – he's still developing those instincts a little bit, but he knows football and he loves the game. Once he focuses full-time on linebacker, I think he's going to be a really freaking good player. Last but not least, the other kid out of Georgia, Channington Dahl. I mean, what a combine he had. Elite, elite testing, the best tester out of any linebacker there. 6'2", 230, 447 in the 40, 42-inch vertical? Come on, wow. a 42-inch vertical, 10-foot, 9-inch broad. Wasn't a full-time starter at Georgia. Got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Look, when you're playing on the same team as Quay Walker and uh, Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker and all the dogs they have there, the safety that I love. I can't remember. His name escapes me now. Uh, Lewis, uh, Lewis something, but great safety that I, that I really love there at Georgia. It got lost in the shuffle a little bit uh, there at Georgia, but the testing was elite. You can blitz them inside or, or offside on the edge. Really productive in coverage. Again, today's linebacker. This is a pretty good, intriguing linebacker class. I, I said all that to say the Titans shouldn't draft anyone in the first three rounds. But, hey, you want to take a chance on day three, you find a guy like Troy Anderson at a Montana State is still there. Maybe the kid out of LSU is still there due to the injury, then uh, by all means. There you go. What a great run through of some of the top linebackers in the class. 
I'm not familiar with hardly any of those guys, so I will refrain from commenting myself. But that's what this podcast is for, is you are doing the tape grind, my friend. Speaking of tape grinding, our buddy No Flags Film has an awesome draft guide out that you should all go check out. Just uh, sign up for his Patreon and you get full access to an insane catalog of draft prep, scouting reports, film breakdowns. He watches the tape. He grinds just like Justin Mello. So lots of great um, draft content there and even more over at broadwaysportsmedia.com where we are really getting into draft coverage and stuff now that the season is upon us. Again, one month out from the draft. So next week, we're going to dive into two more position groups. I think we'll kind of do a similar thing where we have a long discussion about one wide receivers and a short discussion about another cornerbacks because the Titans very much are in play to draft one and very unlikely to draft at least early on the other. So we'll do that next week. Until then, I don't have anything else to say. Do you want to wrap up this episode with any last thoughts? I'm already out of breath. You had me run through all the linebackers. I got, I got nothing left <laughs> to say. I hope you hope people are enjoying the draft coverage. We're just getting started, baby. And look, if you want us to cover a player or a position or something specifically, hit us up on Twitter. You can find Justin at JustinM underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. We'll be sure to get to any questions or comments we receive. Another way to get to us and to get us to answer your questions is to check us out in your Apple podcast page by going down and hitting that five-star button and then actually typing out a five-star review, not just like pressing the five-star button because you don't really, that, that kind of like, no no um i don't really know how it works that way to be honest because like i've i've five star reviewed our our podcast myself like 10 different times i don't really know if it even processes unless you like actually write out a message so write a little five star review for us if you include a little draft question in there we'll definitely answer it on the show all right like i said we'll be back next week to continue this coverage as we zero in on the nfl draft just a month away just over five weeks away from this recording and uh until then You guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.